an entire category of Oscars called Best Supporting Actor or Actress. Those supporting actors and actresses are not intended to steal the show, take over the limelight. But they're important and critical to the show as a whole. My guess is also that you ladies would not be pleased if after some difficult and hard work making a great dinner, your guest said, you know what, take that back. I'd rather you just brought out the pots and the pans so I could look at those. And yet at the same time, we realize that those pots and pans are very important to the meal as a whole. As we continue to look at the law of God, Paul is showing us a bit of that this morning. The law is something that is important. The law is something that God has intended for our good. And we looked last week at how the law reveals sin and how the law actually increases sin and how the law shows us the grace of God. Today I want us to think about the law in its context of Jesus Christ. You may have had a chance to look briefly at the webpage this week, or you may just know that there are often two, no, excuse me, three categories of the law. We're going to look at the second one, the law as something that points us to Jesus Christ. And in that sense, the law is critically important, and yet a supporting role. We don't want to forget about the law, but we don't want to focus on it so much that we miss what the law is pointing us toward, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds us of this in his very helpful fashion. It's impossible not to picture Paul as a pastor because essentially what he does is give three illustrations. We're going to look at the, the, the law first as a prison warden. The law as a prison warden. And then second, we'll look at the law as a guardian. And then finally, we will look at the law as a steward. So the law showing up as a prison warden, as a guardian, and as a steward, all pointing us toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me, if you would, beginning at verse 22. Paul continues his line of thought in telling us that the law cannot save, but that the law condemns, it shows sin. And he says here, But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. He describes first the law acting in the context of a prison. It's actually, one of its jobs is to keep us imprisoned. It's to keep people within the confines that God has laid down. And so, our first question then would be, well, who does the law hold? Who's in this prison? And in one sense, Paul's answer is extremely broad. It's everyone. Everyone without exception. Paul's actually so broad that you'll see that our translation here brings this out. He doesn't even just say all people or every person. He says actually everything. And that's what it is in the Greek. It's every single thing is brought under the condemning power of the law. We realize this when we look at passages, for example, where Paul speaks in Romans, of the creation itself groaning under the weight and condemnation of sin. The law's power is so powerful because of sin 
that all people, all things, all of creation is brought within its confines. No one is free from sin. Now, we may say, well, that makes a lot of sense. Why stress that point? And the point is that the Bible does that. But our society does not. You see, our society believes basically that all people are basically good. And that perhaps there are a few aberrant people who do things that are contrary to the law, contrary to societal norms, and we're getting to the point in our society, aren't we, where when we look at someone who's broken the laws, we immediately question their sanity. Well, if this person were sane, they would never kill someone. Yes, they would. Because killing is sin. And because men, apart from Christ, are wicked and evil. Well, this person, it makes no sense that they would do this, that they would steal, or that they would fracture their entire family by having an affair. They must be out of their mind. They're not like me. Yes, they are. Everyone, everything is imprisoned, held by the law. No one has an excuse. No one is outside the power of sin and the law. Now, another thing I want you to think about is, do you notice the fact that that is actually a good thing? Good? Is it a good thing that people sin, that everyone sins? Well, no. But it's a good thing to know this because the gospel is not for healthy and well people. The gospel is not for people who believe they have it all together. The gospel is for sinners. The gospel is for people who are imprisoned under the law. And so if today you feel imprisoned, you feel without hope, you feel you have difficulty, then the gospel is for you. And I'm speaking not just to those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm speaking to you, Christian. If you're having difficulty in your marriage, or raising your children, or at your job, or you think you just don't measure up, the gospel is for you. The gospel is for people who are beset by sin, who feel the condemnation of God's law. It's not just for everyone in general. Because Paul also says that the law, as a prison warden, holds everyone, both Jew and Gentile. Some commentators, some new theologians, look at this text here in Galatians and say, well, really this only applies to Jews. Because, you know, the Jews had the law, so the Gentiles get a free pass. Paul's not really speaking to the Gentiles. Paul's not really talking about the law in its condemnation, the law in its relationship to sin. But if we take a look at this passage in the light of Paul's other commentary on this, in Romans, we see very easily that Paul says that the law affects all of us, Jew and Gentiles. In Romans 3 and verse 19, he says that the law is there to stop the mouths of everyone. That God gave the law to Israel so that every mouth would be stopped, so that no one could look at God and say, I've done a pretty good job. I deserve whatever you give me. No, the law is there as a standard to show us that we do not measure up. 
And it's not just having the law written on tables of stone, because the law was actually written on the hearts of the Gentiles. The law is written on the hearts of you and me. And there's a good reason for this. Paul tells us in Romans 11 and verse 32, he says, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. You see, a part of the gospel is to see how bad life is without Jesus Christ. If we didn't know how bad life was without Jesus, we would not seek him out. We would not see the reason or purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so part of God's drawing us to himself is to show us the end in ourself, to show us that we are shut up, confined in a prison. We don't live in a paradise. We live in a prison box of our own making. And specifically, Paul says, that it's not just everyone in general, and not just Jews and Gentiles, but especially unbelievers who are held in prison by the law. Because you'll notice that while this is a universal truth, there's a distinction made here between those who believe and those who do not. Notice that Paul speaks in the past tense. Verse 23, Now before faith came, we were held captive. We were imprisoned. You see, Paul is saying to the Galatians, we're not imprisoned anymore. Because faith has come. And not just any old faith. The faith. This faith I've been talking about, Paul says, for two chapters now. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because there's been a change in their status. They've gone from being those who are bound in sin to those who believe, Paul says. Look at verse 22 at the end. He says... This promise by faith is given to those who believe. Those who have faith, we might say. Same word, faith and believe. Now, why is this? It's because those who believe have been given the right to be sons, John 1. And those who believe have obedience given to them. We talked about that several weeks ago, about the imputation, about the crediting of righteousness. And what Paul is saying here is, we are accredited as having done the works of the law. So the law is not a prison warden for the believer. It was in the past. But the law still holds bound tight those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives another helpful illustration as he talks about how it holds. He says, the law watches over us. It's the same kind of language that we use in terms of guarding a city. The law guards us and watches over us. It, it keeps us hemmed in so that we might do less damage to ourselves. We saw this when we talked about the first use of the law. The fact that it's a good thing that the government prohibits lying, stealing, killing, murdering. This is done to protect us from ourselves and from others. And why does it do this? It keeps us so that we have no escape. We have nowhere to turn 
but the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you may have taken classes to be a lifeguard or to work in saving people in water. And if you've done that, you know that the cardinal rule of helping a drowning person is what? You have to keep them under control, right? You have to wrap them up tight. Because if you don't, they flail about, not knowing what they're doing, and they damage themselves and others. They actually bring themselves down with their mistaken struggles to live. That's what the law does. It shows us an end in ourselves. If the law were not perfect, if the law were not obvious, if the law were not given to us, we would set up our own standard. Well, I'm pretty good. I only cheat on my wife once a year. I only steal every other week. Right? We set up our own standards. And then when we step back and look, we say, the horror It's like going to the dentist. The dentist may ask you, how many cavities do you think it's okay to get in a year? And you might say, well, maybe one. Maybe one every other year. And then when you think about 30 years of one cavity a year, you start to think you have no teeth left. That's what the law does. It it protects us from self-deception. It keeps us with no escape. And it prepares us for the coming of the one who is perfect. Because as we see the law being perfect, and as we see it being something that we can never keep, we look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we cannot help but see how unlike us He is, how merciful He is in all circumstances, how appropriate His response is at every turn, how He deals perfectly with anger, how he deals perfectly with opposition, how he deals perfectly with the impatience of others. We see the standard of God's holy law, and it prepares us to see the one who is perfect. The law is a prison warden, shutting us up from ourselves. But it's also, Paul says, meant to be a guardian. He says this in verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, this is an exceedingly difficult Greek word to translate. Not because it's fancy and not because you need to know all kinds of Greek grammar, but because it carries all kinds of connotations and nuances. And if we focus on one, sometimes we miss it. Some of you that grew up on the old King James, maybe memorized this verse, will recognize that that translates it, for the law was a schoolmaster. Now, the law really is not a schoolmaster, at least in its sum. It does have some of those qualities, because as soon as I talk about it being a schoolmaster, the first thing that we think of today is a schoolmaster, a schoolteacher, is someone who teaches me to do things right. And if we look at the law as a schoolmaster, we think, well, all I have to do is listen to the law and look at the law, and I'll get everything right. The law will teach me to come to God. It's not just that. Because that leads us to moralism. The law is also not a parent. 
You see, the law has an important task, but it is not a father. It is a guardian. It is one who stands in the stead of a parent. There's an old doctrine about teachers in schools. It's said that they were in loco parentis, which is fancy Latin for, they stood in the place of your parents. And years ago, that meant you obeyed your school teacher and you respected your school teacher the same way that you would obey and respect your parents. Now, we've gone a long way from that today, but that's the principle. This is an important task. We might think of it by another illustration, a babysitter. A babysitter is not your parent, but a babysitter is responsible for you. You have to listen to the babysitter. The babysitter has your good in mind. The law is really a kind of a babysitter, a kind of a guardian, because it's God who's our father, not the law. But the law tells us what the father desires. This All difficulty around this word resolves around the fact that this word, guardian, schoolmaster, babysitter, really describes someone whose job it was to take a young man from home to school, to make sure that the end was achieved. And if the boy started to stray off the path, the schoolmaster, the guardian, would come alongside and smack him upside the ear and say, get back on the path. If the young man was not paying attention in class, he would have a rod to wrap him. Pay attention to your teacher. The, the guardian's job was to make sure that everything was done as it was supposed to, that the end was achieved. And when we think about the law, that makes perfect sense. Not because the end is our perfection, but because the end of the law, Paul tells us in Romans, is what? The Lord Jesus Christ. The law's job is to come alongside us and wrap us upside the head. Hit us with the switch to make sure we are looking, not at it, but at the Lord Jesus Christ. The law is a guardian to watch over us and to protect us. You see, sometimes as parents, we know that in order to love our children, we need to be a bit harsh or hard because we want them to be protected. We want them to be focused. We want them to achieve goodness, life, and health. That is what the law does. And we need this law because we need justification. Notice what Paul says. The law was our guardian until the coming of Christ in order that we might be justified by faith. The law is there. We need the law to keep us until faith comes. And when faith comes, the law is no longer necessary as a system of life for us. The law has a purpose. It is not aimless. It is not some abstract thing set up in the heavens. God gave His law that His people would see His Savior. The law takes us where we ought to go, to Jesus. Because we are subject to wandering off, are we not? We need guidance. 
So much so that the psalmist speaks of the law as a lamp to our feet, a guide to our path. We need guidance to know which way to go, and God has given us the law. We also need protection. And just as that schoolmaster, that guardian, would protect his charge from home to church to school, so the law protects us. So when Satan comes up to you and whispers, don't worry about it. It's just a little thing. Oh, don't worry about apologizing to that person. They don't really deserve it. Oh, you know, take that. You're worth it. You can look at the devil and say, just as our Lord did in Matthew 4. It is written. I will not because God has told me what He expects of me. God has given me His standard. You are a liar. And you can banish the devil with the Word of God. That is the power of the law for the believer. It protects you along the way. That law is perfect and good and we know it because our Lord Jesus Christ obeyed it and He fulfilled it. He came not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. The law protects us when we are on the way. Christ is the end of the law. Another way to translate that the law was our guardian until Christ came, you could also translate that same word, the law was our guardian to Christ to bring us to Christ, to show us Christ when Christ comes. The law is our guardian. And then finally, the law is not only a prison warden to shut us up from ourselves and our sin, and a guardian to take us to the Lord Jesus Christ, but the law is also a steward. Notice what Paul says about the law here in verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The time for this guardianship has passed. The law has inherent limits with respect to Jesus Christ and faith. The law is limited in authority. We might think of the power of the law being limited because the need of the law is limited. The law doesn't have the power to save because there's no need for the law to save. The law was there as a stopgap, as a shadow, to remind us as a system that faith was coming. And the law, as we said, doesn't just bring about or point to a generic faith. It points to the faith. And the law doesn't bring about faith. Notice how verse 25 begins. But now that the faith has come. It's almost an aside. Paul doesn't say the law brought faith. Paul doesn't say the law has made us faithful. You are going to hear that today. As you go out and are at Starbucks or at Borders or in Christian churches. That the way in which we get right with God or we stay right with God, is we have to be faithful. That the law brings a kind of faith, of faithfulness. 
And Paul says, no. Faith comes apart from the law. The law is there to point us to Christ. The law is there to prepare us for Christ. The law is there to protect us from ourselves before Christ comes. But the law does not bring about faith. It's completely separate. We might think of it this way. Some of you may have done arts and crafts, and and you make things by making a mold. I don't know, the children might like a Mickey Mouse. A college student might like an emblem of their school. And you, you pour whatever it is into the mold, plaster of Paris or wax or whatever it is. And what do you do when you're done? You take the mold and you discard it. Sometimes you even break it to get at the thing that you need. The mold is not there as the substance. The mold is there to point you toward the thing of substance. The mold is temporary. The mold is something that shows us what's important. The law has limits in its authority. It is not faith. The law is not only limited in authority, the law is not self-seeking. Have you ever thought about the fact that in the Scriptures, the law never points to itself? There are plenty who would like to point to the law, including the Judaizers here in Galatia. But the law never points to itself. The law always points to the lawgiver. Everywhere that we have a law in the Scriptures, it is a law because thus said the Lord. We have the Ten Commandments because... God gave them. They point to the one who gives. So much so that the Ten Commandments begin, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The law draws our attention to the one who gives us the law. And Paul's drawing on this analogy here. He says, for when faith came, now that faith has come, we are no longer under this guardian. And when we think about faith coming... I think we can't help but think about John 1. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, the law is important, but it's temporary, and it doesn't point to itself. It is established by the king. That's what a steward is. You know, before the Lord of the Rings movies came out, most people didn't know what a steward was. Not as many people had read the books as had seen the movies. But now everyone that has seen the movie knows what a steward is. It's someone who rules over a kingdom when the king isn't there. And one of the main characters in Tolkien's work is a steward of a large kingdom called Gondor. And he is in charge. He has the authority of the king. So much so that he has power over life and death. But one of the things we forget is that the only reason the steward has power is because the king has granted it to him. The first steward in Tolkien's world was appointed by the king before he rode off to battle. A steward doesn't place itself in authority. A steward doesn't take to itself power. A steward is there to remind us that the king is coming. That the king is the one who has real power. It has been established 
this law by the king. It's limited in authority. It doesn't seek itself, but it points us to others. And finally here, the law is limited in time. Notice what Paul says, that it is not permanent. No longer now are we under a guardian. This law for us has passed into the substance. The purpose of the law in pointing us to Christ is over and done with. Because we have found Him. Because faith has come. We don't need to be pointed anymore. It's there. Faith is there. He is there. The King is in our midst. We don't need a reminder note anymore. He is there before us. And you'll notice Paul does something small here that I think is a great encouragement to the Galatians and to us. He says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I've said this to you before. You'll hear it again. One of Martin Luther's greatest sayings was that the Bible is full of pronouns. Don't miss the we here. Paul is identifying himself with the Galatians and with you. Paul, the one who tried everything he possibly could to obey. That litany that he has of all the things he did, of all that he counted, works, his ancestry, his Phariseeism, his obedience, his zeal, everything he had, he's cast it aside because the king has come. And so Paul calls you this morning, if you are looking to your church membership, to your family, to your bank account, to your car, to your Bible memorization, to anything to make you right with God, Paul says, cast the mold aside. The king is standing right in front of you. Look at him. The law is there to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a good and glorious thing. This is something that we need to remember. Because if we want others to see Jesus, what Paul is saying here is one of the best ways to help others see Jesus is by using this law. The law is a finger pointer. It says, don't look at me. There's Jesus. Turn around and look at him. And I ask you this morning to do that. To look to the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, your King. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have blessed us with your law that your law shows us the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would help us to know your law better, that we might see your goodness and grace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.